We live in the world, which is headed and run by the prince of the power of the air. But we live by the Spirit, discerning the times. For he who is spiritual discerns all things. Sharpen your discernment. Build your faith. Listen to the Word and World Team. Minister the Word of God through conversational theology, piercing the darkness of this present evil age. Hello darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping. And the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sound of silence. Well, welcome. This is uh, Bob Brandon and Hampton Keithley, and we're going to be talking about our core beliefs. And uh, so you'll know where we're coming from for our various topics that we podcast about. So howdy, Bob. Good morning, Hampton. You noticed uh, before we began, I'm wearing a jacket and I'm inside. And it's, yes. it's only the middle of October, but uh, it's starting to get chilly. You know, Kat, Kathy's my wife. She had a difficult uh, drive back home yesterday from Denver. Yeah, I, was, I always passes. I always hated those Denver drives over Vale Pass and Eisenhower yeah. Tunnel. Right. So she had a tough time. There was a guy coming up on her so fast and so she kind of pulls over you know she's looking in the mirror and she's telling our daughter you know this guy's gonna wreck and uh he zooms by maybe 20 yards in front of him spins out crashes into the side oh really yeah yeah you know four-wheel drive is kind of misleading to people uh better than two-wheel drive i suspect but it almost gives you a false sense of oh i can handle it you know i go for yeah you you can't handle it when it's slippery doesn't matter how many wheel drive you got no it's it's difficult well and people are crazy on i-70 i remember the first time we drove that and they were just flying past me at 75 miles an hour around the turns and yeah and uh I was doing that by the time I left five years <laughs> later, but the first first few times uh, I was a little more cautious. Oh gosh. Okay, Hampton, our core beliefs. I've never been more excited. This is my favorite subject by far. I could talk about this stuff forever. Um, what a joy just to be able to lay it out. So I'm thinking maybe I'd just start with number one. We'll, we'll, uh, go through number 26 and then we'll go back and pick up number one these if we are do not one a, if we do one a week that'll take six months <laughs> it'll take us half a year to get this down um that's about right so but one a week i don't even know if we can do one a week some of them actually you could do in five minutes but uh like this first one the bible is god's word that's gonna take take some time so let let me read them and we can make little brief comments and then we'll go back to the top. These aren't in any particular order other than the first one is I would suggest this for all our listeners. Sit down in a quiet moment and think about your core beliefs. What's number one? What's number two? They don't have to be sequential. They don't have to be, you know, more, most important first. It is for me. But think about those. And as I do that, which I actually do this frequently, this first one is the basis of everything else. So that's where we'll spend a lot of our time, even though right now I'll read the list. So number one, I believe the Bible is God's word. And when I say I believe that, I mean you know how do people express the strength of their beliefs you know often they'll some say something like with every fiber of my being or i mean i i don't know how i would express how strongly i believe that but it's to the nth degree it's a hundred percent it's if you're gambling in vegas all my chips 
are on that fact. The Bible's God's word. Okay, number two. This is a, a fun one. The difference between believing God and believing in God is life and death. Yeah, and I think that one's tied definitely to number one. <laughs> it is. If the, you don't, if the Bible says that I believe it, and that's the same people. It, it is. Uh, we'll get into that. I've got some good illustrations about that, though, because I, I think people confuse that one a lot. Like many, there aren't that many avowed atheists. There, there are some, and I, I was one before I came to faith, but... Uh, a lot of people really believe in God, but it's really a creation of their own desires, and which is totally different than believing God. But we'll, we'll discuss that one at some length okay. after, after a little bit. Here's number three. <clears throat> the universe is not eternal. <laughs> and, I, and I usually leave that stated as simply as it is and let the implications flow from there we'll we'll talk about that one number four christians need to play offense as much as defense okay we're constantly right defending the faith how about attacking the other guy's lack of faith need you need to play both challenging their statements yes we'll talk about that one at length Number five. Oh, this is one of my favorites. You could never imagine this one coming from a coach. The only thing that will keep you from understanding something is laziness. <laughs> I yeah. was told I was told once by one of my favorite people in the world, probably in my thinking, you know how we say, oh, so-and-so is smart. I, I really don't like saying that because I think everyone is smart, but there are certain people that stand out, right? We all have certain friends that we're like, man, if I'm, if I'm on some game show and I got to answer some question, I only get to make one phone call. I'm calling this guy. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So I was told by this gentleman, he, he's a doc, he's a cardiologist. His brother was a NASA physicist, but he said that the human brain is capable of making 100 memories a second for your entire life. And I don't know if this statement is true anymore. This statement was true 20 years ago. I I don't know if it still is, but there are more synapses in your brain than in all the computers in the world put together. You know, they, they work basically on off. Right. Just like our nervous system on or off the synapse fires or it doesn't. And we have more in our brains than the world's computers. I don't know if that's still true. It's still the computing power of the human brain is unfathomable. So the only thing that's going to keep you from understanding something is you just didn't put in enough work to do it because you could understand it if you applied your stuff. Okay. Number six. When Jesus took on humanity, it wasn't that big of a step down. <laughs> That's a controversial statement. If, it you is. Don't, if, if they don't know where you're coming from. Correct. So where I'm coming from is we've talked about this on some other podcasts, right? The fact that Adam is the image of God, not in the image of God is to me so powerful. And, and what I'm really combating there is evolution. People absorb that idea without really thinking about it, you know, that we're just another creature on earth. We're not. We are different than the animals. We were created to rule the earth, not, right. not be one of the animals. So, and by the way, uh, let me pose it this way, because I, I know we'll talk about these things in depth right in the coming weeks, but they're so fun even to just mention in passing. Is Jesus still human? Yes. Yes, he is. And many believers don't get that. Yeah, that's a a good point. 
isn't it? I've had that conversation with plenty of and it surprises them. They, they think, oh, you know, he was here, you know, did his work, died for us. And now back in heaven, he's just God again. No, no, no. He's human forevermore. That's what I mean. It wasn't that big of a step down. I know it's a weird way to say it, but and we'll dive into all that. But that's important. Okay, number seven. Heaven and earth used to be one thing. They will be again. Oh, how cool is that? Yeah. <laughs> right? Don't we typically think of it, you know, oh, up there, right? And we're, we're thinking of beyond the sky. Oh, yeah. that's where heaven is. Well, that's not where it was originally. God was here on earth with Adam, right? He used to walk in the garden with him. So it's going back that way too. Uh, number eight, Christianity is a worldview. Oh, I love that one. No one could miss that from our other podcasts, right? But that that's important because people think often of as, as a Christian that that's their religion, as opposed to their worldview. And I think that distinction has critical consequences because a religion just kind of goes in the category of your mind as religion, Mm -hmm. whereas worldview trumps everything. Everything is under the umbrella of Christianity or should be in your mind. So we will pick out the details of that. Here's number nine. The dominant aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit is power, but particularly the power to discern. First Corinthians chapter two, he who is spiritual discerns all things. Right? Right. So if you do the work, uh, right, we're not lazy, Point five, the Holy Spirit will enable that work to bear its proper fruit. Critical. Okay, verse uh, number 10. Interpretation should be practiced normally. (laughs) I love that one. Forget all the gyrations. The text means what it normally means, right? The same way you're understanding what I'm saying right now. Treat the text the same way. The golden rule is a good one for interpretation. Interpret the text the same way you want to be understood. Yeah. Number, ele- okay. number, number 11. <laughs> Don't rabbit trail me on this one, Hampton. The mainstream media is communist. I'm certain of that. And yeah. I would say ha- half of the non-mainstream is but the mainstream certainly is. I mean, they, they have a communist worldview and everything they present is going to be edited to fit that worldview. Um, number 12, Trump won re-election overwhelmingly. Yeah. Number 13, COVID-19 is man-made and part of a worldwide takeover. So let me be a little more precise on that one. COVID, you know, a lot of people misunderstand this. COVID-19 is not the virus. COVID-19 is a description of symptoms, right? You, You could say, oh, I've got a runny nose, I'm coughing, I'm hacking, I've got a temperature. Okay, that's COVID, (laughs) right? That can be caused by the virus SARS-CoV-2. But that's the name of the virus is the SARS-CoV-2, right? COVID is the name of the symptoms, just so people know. But all all of that is man-made. There is no SARS virus that has ever been found in nature. That's a stunning fact. Those, those SARS virus, SARS-1, SARS-1 was much more, like COVID-1 was much more deadly, by the way. One in 10 died from that. 
CoVe2 is man-made as well, but not nearly as virulent as CoVe1. But we'll talk about all that stuff when we get there. Number 14, there are only two sexes. God seems, it seems, <laughs> seems strange you would have to state that. Well, why would I even have to say that? That's so obvious. But nevertheless, we'll talk about that more later. Number 15. This one's my favorite. There are many people smarter than me. <laughs> I say that because, you know, now and then over the years, somebody will just be so mad at me for something, you know, you said such and such. And then, and I had always, I'm like, well, I'm just me. You know what? Why would what I say upset you? <laughs> right. I'm not the final authority. What the heck? I know I talk that way, but I certainly don't feel that way. Number 16, the ultimate key to truth is the issue of source. That's critical. We'll get to that later. It goes back to number one. <clears throat> yes, it does. Number 17, only God can pierce the evil, deluded human heart. That's really important to remember because you're going to get frustrated in conversations with people and you're going to put the blame on yourself and only God can pierce an evil, deluded human heart. Number 18, another one of my favorites. Actually, I keep saying that because all of these are my favorite, but number 18, loneliness is the attendant circumstance of a life of faithfulness. Was, was anyone lonelier than the prophets? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. So be prepared for that, right? In the Christian faith, if you're going to put all your cards on the table, if you're going to put every chip in the pot, you will be lonely because very few are going to do that. Okay, number 19. Another favorite, of course. Truth, love, and power are ultimately inseparable. Number 20, never forget the scoreboard. <laughs> Boy, we're, we're going to have a good time on that one. I've, I'll never escape the sports world as, as a fun thing for me. I remember I got a text from a friend a week ago or someone had made this statement in the sports world and he, he texted it to me, he goes, I remember you saying this years ago. <laughs> and they asked, they do these like pregame, you know, the media has got to hype the game and all that. So they, they do all this pregame analysis and, uh, you know, keys to victory, the certain things each team has to do in order to win. And I, I just never watch that stuff because it's so irrelevant. I just want to see the game. The key to victory is scoring more points than the other guy. Okay, that's the key. It doesn't matter how you do that. You just need more points. So the application to that spiritually is the scoreboard at the present time in this dispensation at the current unfolding of God's inexorable plan is really search and rescue, right? How, how many are coming to faith? Mm -hmm. That's that's the scoreboard. And there are two people that never forget the score. And that's Satan and God, <laughs> right? Whether the US, you know, whether Trump wins reelection or that's not the scoreboard. Those things might be important to us, but they're not the scoreboard. So you always got to focus on, on where the where the world's ultimately headed. Okay, <clears throat> more on that later. Number twenty one. Forget fair. <laughs> if you're downtrodden and beat down because the world's not fair, particular particularly to you, 
It's not going to be. It's never going to be. Life is not fair. <laughs> yes, life's not fair. Okay. I've heard that a few times. But uh, prayer isn't fair either. <laughs> I, I would say that that's an unfair weapon we have that uh, the world doesn't have. And I, I think we ought to use it. <laughs> yeah, we don't use it enough. <laughs> okay. Number 22. Oh, beware of the prince of the power of the air. Never sleeps. That's 24-7. You've got an enemy that's out for your destruction. He's not omniscient, but he's brilliant. And he's been around since the creation. So he's had pr plenty of time to sharpen his awareness, his acumen. He is after your destruction. So we'll talk about that at length, but remember the devil. Verse 23, isn't that even in the Lord's prayer? <laughs> Sounds like he covers some major bases in that prayer. Yeah. Deliver us from evil. Isn't that part of it? Right. <laughs> okay. You know why I think why uh, we don't emphasize that enough? Because the the world still influences us as much as we try to bury our head in the scriptures and faithfully live the Christian life. You still have the world creeping in there and the world thinks the devil's a fairy tale. And so we, we tend to not dwell on that enough, but that's a hundred percent real. You got a monster out there. You've never seen a guy, you know, take some of the greatest villains in history. Couldn't even begin to compare to that guy. Right. Imagine the angels backing off from him as Jude records. So, that's a, outside of the Lord, man, what a force. Okay, 23. This should have been paired with 20 that said never forget the scoreboard. But the real scoreboard power comes from the presence of God. That's what we really need, isn't it, in our lives? Power. I mean, imagine your car with no power. That's no fun. No. <laughs> You're not going anywhere. It's in the Christian life, man, you have to have power. That comes from the presence of God. Number 24. Uh, another one of my favorites. These are all my favorites. I've said that a dozen times. Science is done by human beings. <laughs> okay. So if in your thinking, science is the ultimate truth teller, be careful with that. Science is done by human beings. Yeah, that seems, that seems to be a hot topic these days. What is, you know, we're going by the science when in fact they're not going by the science. No, then it's all politicized. Yeah. Let me give you a quick example of that. I, I know we're going to go back to number one, the Bible is God's word. But <clears throat> so in the, in the world of virology, for instance, a, an attendant study to virology is vaccines. There have been plenty of people in the last 10, 20 years saying there are major problems with vaccines. And they're tracing autism, for instance, to vaccine issues. I don't, I don't want to detail those studies out. That, that would take quite a long time. But for right now, just trust that statement, that there are people who think vaccines contribute heavily to autism as just one example they contribute heavily to a lot of things but take that as one example so in studies of autistic children um, they're also finding that your your gut so to speak your stomach and your intestines and bowels are pretty critical to your overall health and very critical to your brain health so they're looking for um difficulties with autistic children in their guts and particularly trying to link that to vaccines and they have done that and they're finding heavy metals from the vaccines in the cilia the cilium 
of the digestive tract. So take all of that right now as just data. Don't draw any conclusions, just data. So if you're a vaccine supporter, in other words, if you have billions of dollars behind you, right, motivating everything that you do, you do a study looking for heavy metals in uh, autistic vaccinated children and you just skip the psyllium. And then you publish your study and say, we didn't find any heavy metals in these children. And you publish it in a major journal because you control those journal boards and that gets read as people as science. Well, sort of, but it was crooked science. Yeah. They left out the one place they knew they were going to find, you know what I mean? But that if somebody in an argument says, and I don't recall which journal that was published in. So this part, I'm, I'm just picking a journal, but say they go, well, in the New England Journal of Medicine, it says they didn't. So there you go. Well, it doesn't prove anything. If you're going to dive in to the scientific world, you better completely dive in. You can't just tap your toe in there using the metaphor of a pool and think you know what science is. Mm -hmm. and, and the reason most people defer to science is one of our other reasons, right? That laziness is the only thing that will keep you from understanding something. So they don't, they feel ill-equipped to dive into the science pool. But if you did, you would find a ton of skullduggery in there, a ton. So yeah. be, be just remember, science is done by human beings. <clears throat> and that's not to denigrate science. Science is a great endeavor of mankind. I mean, I love science. There's so many benefits from that. But be careful with thinking that that's the ultimate truth teller. Okay. Number 25. The first thing the unbeliever does for his worldview is lie. Oh, the first thing. <clears throat> and that can be done in any number of ways. Usually it's done by selective editing, right? The unbeliever is only going to look at certain data, data that supports them. You won't see that any more clearly than on the news stations. You're not seeing news when you watch CNN. You're seeing their worldview. And in order to strengthen their worldview, it's just 100% edited. Anything that conflicts with it is taken out, right? Yeah, Even the ties with your science is done by human beings. Exactly. And, you know, as just one example, again, we'll talk about all these things in the coming weeks. But as one example, it was just a couple of weeks ago, they had a picture of one of the um, border agents on a horse. And they said he was whipping the uh, immigrants, illegal immigrants, by the way, mm -hmm. but that he was whipping them. He wasn't. That they showed a picture with him and a whip. Ne never showed a picture of him whipping anyone, just that guy with the whip. And I'm not even sure it was like a whip, like a bull whip. It was like the reins of his horse or something. And, and their claim was that these border agents, you know, are whipping the immigrants. They had to retract that. They never had a single instance of that. Never had a single eyewitness say they were doing that, but that's what they present. When they retract it, it's like one second. Although they did like a five minute expose, right? And a week yeah. later they go, oh yeah, by the way, that didn't happen. On to the next story. So, right? They never really correct themselves. They know that. They could technically, if they were upbraided by whatever, you know, the federal commission that oversees broadcasting, the FCC or whatever that is, I don't know all those initials. They could say, no, we retracted it. Look, but everybody knows that they misled their entire audience on that on purpose. Yeah. So, Anyway, the first thing, there's a thousand examples of this, but it's just remember it as the simple statement. The first thing the unbeliever does for his worldview is lie. Number 26. This is a perfect bookend to number one. 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ is real. That is the final, oh, what a pun, nail in the coffin of the truth of Christianity. Imagine any other worldview and bring forth its greatest proponent. Bring me Karl Marx. Bring me Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Bring me anybody. And you can find them still in their grave. Mm-hmm. Not, not this guy. That's pretty convincing proof, I would say. <laughs> right? Yeah. So we'll detail that at length. So back to the top, Hampton. You did a good job of not rabbit trailing me on those things. Okay. My hat's off to you. But we're going to dive in on the Bible is God's word. I'm going to read from one of my favorite books. You know, I really, we've talked about this. I'm more of a biblical theologian. That, that sounds funny, like most people would say, well, isn't everybody a biblical theologian? But you know what I'm saying, right? I'm a biblical theology guy as opposed to a systematic theology guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but not it's not an either or. I'm just saying I'm, I'm more in the direction of biblical theology. So this book is the best, to me, systematic book, and it's called understanding Christian theology. The editors are Swindoll and Zook, and I know you know Charles and Roy, but uh, one of the contributors, so it's different contributors. They're, those guys are just the editors. Okay. And, and it goes through, for instance, it has uh, part one is the scriptures, and it's 120 pages on the Bible, broken down under 14 separate headings. Part two is God, part three, Jesus Christ, part four, the Holy Spirit, and so on, right, to covering the major areas of theology. And it's by different theologians. And one of them is Earl Rodmacher. Did you ever meet Earl? I did. And uh, he and my dad were close. Oh, man, he was a great, great theologian in, in my thinking. He was the first teacher I ever had. Um, when I came to faith, you know, I was good friends with Charles Ryrie, but just friends. I mean, I never had a class with Ryrie. It was almost kind of better because you could ask him <laughs> whatever you wanted, you know, over lunch or coaching him and so on. And it was good to have a heavy hand over him. Like I could say, Charles, if you don't answer my question, I'm going to make you swim butterfly for the next hour stuff like that. <laughs> he didn't respond very well to coercion. But uh, Rodmacher was the first teacher I ever had, but not in person. I took his class. He, he taught, he might even have been the head president of Western Seminary in uh, Portland, Oregon. So he did a video class on hermeneutics. Another great course to have as your first course ever. Yeah. Right. Learn, yeah. learn how to read this stuff before being told what it means. So anyway, the brilliance of that class, Hampton, I might, might have mentioned this to you. Um, I'll, I'll never forget this lesson. <clears throat> the brilliance of that class was the way you were graded was you, you listened to the class through a video series and then you had to teach that material to other people. And there was like a minimum number. It, it might've been like five. You had to teach that class to five other people, but you could teach it to more if you wanted to. But then the school would send those students of yours, in my case, those five students, a final exam. And whatever they made on their final was your grade. How so brilliant. That, yeah, that, that's pretty pretty cool. That was so good. I just learned so much responsibility in that. Like, it's not just my goal to learn the material. I have to learn it to such an extent that I could help someone else learn it. That's a whole different level 
but I can, I I can see how that. that would be really frustrating though if you, you know Could you're gung ho and you're putting yeah. everything into it and yep. your students are not as gung-ho as you <laughs> pick your students carefully I, I made sure i did that but yeah that it was so good and I, i've just never forgot that even when uh my daughter was born i mean the very first feeling i had you can remember when your children were born they just overwhelming sense of responsibility yeah you know like hey this kid belongs to me but i'm putting her in your hands for now oh my gosh <laughs> oh my gosh so anyway what a great class i mentioned that to say um rodmacher did not do this section this was section was done by robert sosi remember him know the name but i didn't know him yeah, so this is Robert Sosi, and uh, Rodmacher did a different section here. But let's let's read some of this. <clears throat> it's so good. This is his introduction to his section on the Bible. He says the Bible is the most important book in the world. This is a conviction of Christian believers, but also of thoughtful political statesmen, royalty, and renowned intellectuals. King George the fifth of England declared the English Bible in a secular aspect is the first of national treasures and is in its spiritual significance, the most valuable thing that this world affords. Hmm. At the coronation of queen Elizabeth, the second, as she held the Bible in her hands as an expression of faith, and allegiance, the Archbishop of Canterbury declared, here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. Hmm. Patrick Henry, the colonial American patriot, famous for his immortal words, give me liberty or give me death, said of the Bible, this is a book worth more than all the others that were ever printed. Sounding a similar note, the Russian novelist Fyodor Dostoevsky, after recommending the reading of the entire Bible in the Russian translation declared, one gains for one thing, the conviction that humanity possesses and can possess no other book of equal significance. I got to pause there for a sec. I'm going to skip the next paragraph and then go on. But <clears throat> so when I came to Faith Hampton, I, came, I was 21 years old, uh, a few weeks short of graduating from college at SMU, the biology degree. <clears throat> but I, I came to Faith and had been given a Bible. I'll tell the whole story at some point. But the very first thing I did at the moment of coming to faith is to start reading the Bible and not knowing anything about the Christian faith. Where do you suspect I might've started reading that book? At the beginning. <laughs> Page one. <laughs> Why wouldn't you start there? Oh my gosh. I don't know how many Christians don't do that, but I started on page one and it took, yeah, it's a pretty big book, right? So it mm -hmm. took, took a couple weeks. So maybe third, third week, I closed the book because I had, had finished Revelation. And I remember distinctly this overwhelming impression that God is the judge. That was my takeaway after 2000 pages that he's, he's the supreme being. Everything ultimately answers to him. What a healthy way to begin your Christian life. Man, it was yeah. so good. So next uh, paragraph from Sosi. The inestimable value of the word of God for believers is evident in their willingness to sacrifice their lives for possessing it. In the great persecution of the church in AD 300, the Roman emperor Diocletian was determined to destroy the scriptures 
any copy of the Bible that was found was burned. Thousands of believers and their families were martyred for possessing portions of the word of God. This killing and destruction of the scriptures went on for two years, after which a victory column was erected over the ashes of a Bible with words that indicated the Bible is extinct. But only 20 years later, the Emperor Constantine proclaimed the Bible the infallible judge of truth. Enemies of God have made similar attempts to destroy the Bible in a variety of ways, but God has preserved it, sometimes at great, great cost on the part of his people, a cost which for them was nothing in comparison with the treasure of the scripture. What a great paragraph. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This eminent status that Christians have accorded the Bible has earned them the epithet people of the book. I can attest to that. I've, I've said that on other podcasts. Uh, a guy pulled me aside one day, a friend of mine in the, in the Valley here that worked for the government, federal government in a certain capacity and knew about our, our ministry, the sanctuary and said, Hey, I want to show you this. And it was a, a document from the federal government detailing the sanctuary. It was very accurate. And their conclusion was to kind of leave us alone, you know, not that critical. However, they had one concern. Their concern was that group of people will believe the Bible over us. People of the book, I have to say that proudly. What a great thing to be known for. But anyway, so back to Sosi, the people of the book. This name was apparently first coined by Muhammad, who applied it primarily to Jews, but also to Christians because of the importance they both placed on written revelation. Muslims have also come to be included in this terminology because of the significant place that all three religions place on their sacred scriptures in comparison to the place of writings in other religions. I'm not sure that's a hundred percent true of the, the Muslims, but regardless, Christians are often called the people of the book. That is a badge of honor. Wear it well back to Sosi. The absolute necessity of the Bible for Christianity has been illustrated by comparing it with the sacred writings of Hinduism if all the writings of Hinduism were destroyed and no Hindu remained alive so that Hinduism was totally absent from all human minds on earth, it's still conceivable that Hinduism could arise again because it's basically a way of life. If people thought this way once, there's no reason why they could not do so again. Got that point? Mm-hmm. Okay. On the other hand, if all copies of the scriptures were obliterated and all remnants of Christianity were completely gone from the face of the earth, including all historical references to its existence, it would be impossible for Christianity to rise again. Why? Because it's more than a way of life. It's a historical religion founded on the actions of God in history. And the Bible records that salvation history. I'd edit that sentence and say, uh, when he says it's more than a way of life, it's a historical religion. I'd say it's a historical worldview founded mm -hmm. on the actions of God. In but you see the difference, right? You yeah. know, someone today, <clears throat> you could take any, any faith, right? Muslim, that could be written again. That's human book. Any of the faiths could be written again, except Christianity, because it's not human. It is part humans wrote it, but they were inspired. That's so interesting to think about it that way. Yeah. Right. That's first. Essentially, that's an illustration of first Corinthians two, when Paul says, no one knows the thoughts of another man. Right. No, no one knows the thoughts of God except God, right? None of us are going to be writing his thoughts apart from him. Right. 
So critical distinction. Okay, that was a short chapter. Next little chapter. You keep me aware of the time, Hampton. Yeah, I think we've been going about 45 minutes. Okay, so we'll, we'll go a little further. Why is the Bible called the book of life? This is Sosie's first chapter. That first stuff we read was his introduction. Here's his first chapter. I highlighted this part just for you, Hampton. This is going to refer to an old acquaintance of ours. Similarly, the French savant, Jean-Jacques Rousseau. <laughs> there we go. We already know all about him. Whose philosophical views paved the way for humanistic liberalism was also struck by the unique dynamic of the Bible. Let me pause for just one sec. Here are the dates for Rousseau, so our listeners know, 1712 to 1778. So they have that locked away in their mind. He, <laughs> is, the he is the father of humanistic liberalism. We talked about that. So the next statement sounds so bizarre coming from Rousseau who's the father of humanistic liberalism. He says this, I must confess to you, he wrote, that the majesty of the scriptures astonishes me. The holiness of the evangelists speaks to my heart and has such striking characters of truth and is moreover so perfectly inimitable, we'll talk about that in a second, that if it had been the invention of men, the inventors would be greater than the greatest heroes. So inimitable means it's so good, it's impossible to copy, right? It can't, can't be equaled. Okay. It's, it's unique. So he's saying the scriptures are not from men. It would be impossible to copy it. And it's the truth. Now, how in the world did that guy go from that thought to being the father of humanistic liberalism yeah that doesn't uh, sound like him from what we read in carl truman's book right so let's pause there for a second i've noticed this see if you've noticed this same thing only christians have a completely consistent worldview what a critical statement but I, I believe that to be 100% true. No, yeah. no one else, outside of the Christian faith, there is nothing that's completely consistent. The facts of life will destroy every other worldview if they're simply pointed out. Liberalism's inconsistent in a thousand ways. Karl Marx, inconsistent. And any other faith, inconsistent than Christianity. So, how, so in a sense, it doesn't puzzle me that Rousseau could say that, but it, it bothers me. You'd like to go to a bar with him and sit down and go, hey, Jean, how, how do you put that together with the other stuff you said? <laughs> well, it's not uh, that he didn't know. It's that he rejected the truth. Oh, well, you wouldn't be referring to Romans chapter one, would you? You mean he, he suppressed the truth in unrighteousness? Yeah. Hmm. Okay, next little section of Sosi. We've all heard the saying, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. You almost feel like singing that when you say it, you know? <laughs> right. But experience tells us, tells us all that this is not really true. Words do hurt us but they also heal. Even of human words, the Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. The power of the human tongue is like a rudder that controls a ship or a small fire that ignites a whole forest. These are all quotes from the Bible. That's James, of course, that last one. But point he's making there is how critical words are. We've, we've discussed that a little bit on other podcasts, but boy, that's worth, you know, I don't want to take five, 10 minutes to belabor that, but 
<clears throat> just for our listeners, control your tongue. That is one of the primary evidences, I believe, of a believer is the ability to control their speech. Why do you suspect that that speech might be so critical in the life of a believer? Well, I know it is, but I don't know how to explain it. Well, and this is only my answer, Hampton. Like I said earlier, there's so many people smarter than me, <laughs> but this is the way I've thought about it. <clears throat> we are the image. Just an absolutely critical aspect of God is his speech. Right? How, how did he create the universe? By speaking. Right. So, so our speech needs to reflect the creator's speech. He, he doesn't speak frivolously, right? His words. Remember, we read just, just uh, the other day about Samuel, the uh, last judge, but Samuel, the prophet, you know, prophet and judge, that God did not let any of his words fall to the ground. Right. Right. Like, right? So it, that should be the case with us. Our, our words should be uh, real, penetrating and soothing, you know, used for good. Obviously, you have to judge certain things, but use your words to heal, to, to do good. What a skill. Boy, if, if you can do that, man, that's worth just about everything. So Sosi goes on, if human words are that powerful, how much more are God's words? Human words, of course, are limited by the creaturely limitations of individuals. But there's no such limitation to the power of the words of the infinite God. Jesus said to his disciples, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. That is, they have the power of the Holy Spirit and are life creating. On this occasion, many who were following Jesus turned away to walk with him no more. But the disciples, having received his words, experienced their power. When asked if they too would leave, Peter, who undoubtedly spoke for all of them, responded, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Man, I can't tell you how important that passage in John is. Yeah. Right? And, and I think people forget <clears throat> many people left Jesus at that point. It's when true. he was talking yeah. about his words. And so when, when we get to that, um, one of our core beliefs, right? Believing God as opposed to believing in God. Here's what's going to happen to us, Hampton. We're going to lose some followers. Just like Jesus did. Because I'm not bending on that. It's God's words. It's believing him, not in him. Whatever he said, that's what goes. People ultimately walk away from that. So I believe the Bible to be true. A couple more paragraphs. The writer to the Hebrews declared the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Interestingly, the word living is applied by the same author to God himself in 312, 9.14, 10.31, 12.22. The living God sends his word forth with his life. And because the word is living, it's also active. What a power. We, we have the ability, Hampton, as Christians to speak the words of God. What a power. That ties in, remember one of our core beliefs, right? We need to play offense as much as defense. The, the word is a sword. Mm -hmm. When you get into the armor of God in Ephesians 6, that's defensive stuff. And, and so be it. That's critical. You got to be able to, to defend the faith. But you got to be able to pierce the competing worldviews. You got to be able to tear down fortresses. That's done with the word of God. But do it, do it with grace, right? Don't hack away like a barbarian. Do it like a surgeon. 
But in order to do that, you got to know the word of God. I'll tell you my own personal beliefs about this. It almost makes me shed a tear, honestly, when I think about it. But my own father, you know, my human father passed away. Gosh, might be a year and a half ago now, maybe two years, coming up on two years. Anyway, he was a doc. And I always had... um, ambitions of following in his footsteps. I used to go to the hospital with him when I was in high school and uh, go to surgery with him. They'd let you do that. You could suit up, you know, wash all your hands and all that and put on the mask and stand there while they did surgeries. Now and then they'd let you hold a tool or do something. But uh, I was fascinated by all that. He, He was not a believer. And uh, when I did come to faith, I remember thinking, you know, as a doc, you could really help put someone back together, right? You, you can assist the healing process. And m- most docs are careful to distinguish that, right? They know they can't heal you, but they can really benefit that process. And, and I felt like that, you know, you, that could be a great thing. But that person is still going to die. And I remember thinking, you know, sooner or later, right? Every, right. Everyone dies. And I, and I remember thinking, but if I could give the word of God, that could heal someone forever. And I remember just making that career choice. And I, I remember a, applying to seminary and they asked at Dallas, um, you know, are you called? And I remember thinking, and, and I writing, remember that question. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I remember thinking and then writing, I don't know, but I know that I need to know what's in that book. And they, they accepted that, but that's why I made that choice. And I'll never regret that. Yeah. But I, I've always viewed the scriptures just like that, that verse in Hebrews. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. I, I didn't necessarily picture a sword, Hampton. I, although I, I know that's what it said. And I, I got the meaning of the, the verse. But I always pictured it like a scalpel. Especially when it says, you know, piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit. So I, I always pictured myself as, uh, you know, having a scalpel. And trying to use that for healing, I just, my regret is that in addition to God, you know, motivating me in that direction, he also gave me an ornery personality, which <laughs> seems to conflict with the scalpel. <laughs> but, but that's my life in a nutshell. Yeah. So one of the, one of the um, implications for that or applications of it is my heartfelt Thanks to you, Hampton, for giving me a surgery center. <laughs> Is that what we have, a surgery center? That's what we got. You and I are opening up some living body, and we're going, hmm, here's what's going on. Let's take out these cancerous elements, and let's sew this guy back up with the word of God inside him. Yeah. So that might be a good place to stop for the okay. day. But we'll continue on this. This one will take a couple podcasts because, you know, as you notice, when we read down our, my list of core beliefs, they all depend on this one. So we, we have to cement this one in so that our foundation's solid. That, right. That'll take a couple times. And then we also need to do our Bible translation version of that, too. Yeah, you'll be leading us through that. I'm so excited that because that's that's one of those areas that you know how people punt in the realm of science, right? They, cause they're, they're not going to dive in on that within the faith. I think a lot of people punt on textual criticism and it's such a rewarding study because by the time you complete it, you will be certain you will be convinced that when you pick up your Bible, you have the very words of God at your right. fingertips. Right. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. Until next time. Okay, champ. Bye-bye. 
Therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. 